0: to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I am the host of the podcast Transformative Principal and author of the books School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I am a former educator at all levels of K-12 education.
1: Greetings, everyone. I am Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, educational consultant, former school board member, now based in Portland, New York, and the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyber Ethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices.
0: Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org.
1: The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Hey there, Jethro.
0: Hey, Fred. Good to see you.
1: Thank you very much. It is good to be here. What is on your plate this week?
0: Well, um, this week, gosh, um, I am, well, this is not like related to anything that we're talking about, but I am going to visit a superintendent who did not give me a job in 2014. And I wrote about him in my book, How to Be a Transformative Principal, because not only did he let me down easy, as it were, He also modeled this beautiful way of giving feedback to people that helps them grow and learn, and then come to find out he is still, he's here in the Spokane area, so he's a couple hours away, so it'll be a little bit of a drive, but I am so excited to go meet with him and learn about his life and what he's doing, and it's going to be good. So it'll probably be a podcast episode on transformative principle at some point, but just a really inspiring guy that I'm, just excited to to catch up with. Even though I only interviewed with him for a job and then didn't get it, but he's somebody who has impacted my life in a very positive way. So that'll be fun.
1: Well, sometimes it is the things that don't happen that that's right. Seeing <laughs> yeah, which is terrific. Like, well, the um, in a were cyber traps related message, <laughs> yeah. cyber traps for educators. Um, message will be rolling out to the Champaign, Illinois region on Friday morning. I'm going to be spending a couple of hours talking to a group of about 25 to 30 administrators uh, out there. And it's been um, a good excuse to really continue to hone the structure of both the book and the presentation. So uh, pleased with how that is going. We'll have a lot more to talk about regarding the upgrade to uh, Cybertraps for Educators later on in the summer, uh, hopefully before I head out to Ghana, which is also on our list of chats. Oh man, that That is so exciting. Yeah, we have a lot going on. Yeah. (laughs) Good stuff. So anyway, what are we talking about today?
0: Well, today we're going to talk about whether or not we should use technology to track our children's movement. This is a fascinating, fascinating topic. I'm so
1: glad that we're talking about it today. Well, I think it's important to jump in there and and draw one quick distinction, because there's a lot of different movements that we can talk about in terms of tracking children. Um, Obviously, movement around the information superhighway is, is a very common thing to track. But today, we're specifically talking about the physical tracking of children, their actual location, IRL, in real life. (laughs) <laughs> and that does, as you as you say, it raises some fascinating questions.
0: Yeah. So I think the best place to start with this is um, when I was a kid, everybody was worried to death about a stranger in a white van giving you candy and luring you and kidnapping you. And that was the thing to be afraid of in the 80s and early 90s, at least. And there were... Tons of jokes about it. You know, anybody who ever had a yeah. white van, we were like, they are a creeper <laughs> and you need to stay away from them. And I, I bring this up because my generation who has young kids now is is feeling that sense of anxiety around that idea and are very concerned about where their kids are. And some would say that that has even led to some societal issues where kids are, never outside of the purview of their parents, that they never have experiences doing their own thing, as well as kids are overscheduled because parents don't want kids to have any downtime because they could get kidnapped or abducted. And the other very real part of this is that um, human trafficking and sex slavery and things like that are a very real thing that still happen and that are continuously going on. And so it is, um it's a very real issue that we need to be aware of but there's also a lot of hyperbole and uh unneeded fear going into it but as a normal parent you have no idea where to be with that
1: (laughs) i i am fascinated to hear you say that because you know what's the difference here? like 17 years 16 17 years and my experience was, was much closer to the stereotypical 1950s, Mm -hmm. you know, view of America where my parents were, you know, I grew up in a small town in Southeastern Massachusetts, and it was very typical on a summer day or even after school for my parents to say, well, we're going to eat dinner around 630. See you then. Yeah. And you would just take off and you'd hang out with people and you'd climb trees and you'd invent games and yada yada it was you know just the standard backyard activity the the stranger danger evolution was real of course i've I've talked in the past about how my mother freaked out about dungeons and dragons and how i was going to sneak off to new york and start playing in the subways and things like that so you know there was clearly a rise in that hyperbole and exaggeration um, in the I would say, late 70s, beginning 1980s. We actually had something, my siblings and I still mock this constantly. We had Operation Goblin in our town because they yeah. took away Halloween for about a decade because of this absolute fear that people were putting needles, razor blades, and other things in you know the world's candy. And yes, that may have happened once or twice in the entire United States, but it still drove these changes that we all experience and some of the fact that there is now a multi-billion dollar child tracking industry is a function of that
0: yeah for sure and you know we could probably go into more history that goes back and traces it even further but i think that's sufficient to get us started and (laughs) enough to say that by 2012 this app or program called life 360 was already being used by 20 million people. And then a 2019 UK study found that 40% of parents had deployed real time GPS tracking and 15% checked locations constantly. I mean,
1: amazing how fast that grew, right? Yeah.
0: It's, it's, so there
1: is one other little piece of history though here, Jethro, because you, you referenced 2012 for the launch of Life 360, which by the way, got a bunch. And, and by bunch, I mean tens of millions of dollars in seed money from, guess who? Google and Facebook, yeah you know? So these tech companies, and, and I hope alarm bells are going off in yeah. the heads of our listeners, because what do Google and Facebook traffic in? They traffic in information. Exactly. So if they're paying big Boku bucks, Boku bucks, by the way, trademark first, Boku bucks <laughs> too, Life 360, then you know that they want to get something out of that in terms of information. So we'll put a pin in that for a moment. But the significance of the 2012 date, of course, is that just five years earlier, Steve Jobs stood up and said, hey, I've got something to show you. And it was the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And so now you have this merging of technology and movement. Really, for the you know first time, yeah, you, you can yell at me about the Newton and the yeah. other kind of personal and, assistance.
0: And regular cell phones. I mean, you've yeah, been able to tr- geofence the, the triangulation of the cell towers and stuff. So that's been going on
1: for a while, right? Sure, but that was really law enforcement, of course. I mean, right. that was a much higher level act activity than what Life360 is offering. And the smartphone made it possible now for all of these other companies to jump on board these devices, literally, and start using the geoplanetary system, you know, the geolocation system, in order to track these devices and, more significantly, the person who's carrying them.
0: And, and here's the really fascinating piece is that this question of whether or not I can track my kids and know physically where they are comes into the decision about whether or not to give a kid a phone because this sure. is one of the reasons why parents say I want my kid to have a cell phone is because, one, I can track where they're at and, two, they can get a hold of me whenever ah. they're out somewhere without me. And so that idea – of having access to where your child is, is a very comforting thing to a lot of parents to know exactly where their kid is, and whether or not they're in the right place.
1: Well, of course, I mean, when we talk about why parents might want to do this, you can absolutely be empathetic, right? I mean, it is a hectic world. And while we can certainly debate the levels of danger, and we should, that's a message that parents are really having drummed into them. So it absolutely reasonable for one response to be, I want to be able to get in touch with my children. Certainly, school shootings, as you well know, drive that phenomenon as mm-hmm. well. You yeah, know, how many how many times now? I can't believe that it is how many times, but how many times have we seen news reports of kids texting their parents, you know, in the middle of a lockdown situation? Mm-hmm. For parents, you know, it's a terrible thing to think about, but they'd rather have that capability than not. Yeah, and absolutely. However subtly or, or openly, you know, cell phone companies and these app producers help push that message.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, and and that connection piece is is so powerful. So there's two main ways that we're talking about here. One is location sharing, which is showing the real-time location of where someone is. And there are things like tapple uh, Apple tile and Apple's (laughs) air tags that are not devices. And we'll get into that in a minute, but that says, this is where you're at. And then there's another kind that says, this is where this person has entered or left. And that's called geofencing, which sets up a geographic fence that says when the person crosses this, then send a notification. So if the kid leaves school, for example, during the day, you could get a notification saying your kid has left school that day. And, Funny side note, Apple created these things (laughs) called beacons um, several years ago, probably 2014, 15, something like that. And these beacons were a way to do more specific location within a building. And I remember this. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about in our school is if we were going to have um, one to one uh, devices, should we also. Go with something like the the beacon that would basically let you know where kids were within the building um, and that you could then manage and keep control of that. And, you know, knowing where kids are, whether or not they're in class or outside of class, or at least whether their devices. I mean, we immediately saw that as soon as we did that, kids would say, yeah, my device was in class and I'm going to go someplace else without my device <laughs> and take advantage <laughs> of, the, of the situation. Um, so anyway, I have a
1: few other First Amendment thoughts about that, which we'll get to. Yeah, but no kidding. Before we move on, though, I do think it's important to to offer one small clarification, which is that um, the location sharing and geofencing is primarily based on the global positioning satellite technology GPS, which actually, by the way, again dropping historical footnote is a direct byproduct of trying to track the Sputnik satellite in 1957 um, by American uh, radio researchers. Fascinating story, but that's neither here nor there. Apple AirTags, which are hugely popular right now, Mm. and the Tile technology, use Bluetooth. And so they're actually using the proximity to either your device Or a similarly equipped device like Apple's Find My iPhone, uh, which is what the AirTag concept is built on. But whereas GPS is really good if your kid's on a school bus or something like that, you can track where they're moving, um, the Bluetooth-based technologies don't work well at speed. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the distinctions, I think, that's really arisen with these.
0: Yeah. So there are some other specialized features that we should talk about that are Really hard to argue against, right? Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, well, one is, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah,
0: crash detection, for example. If you're I'm all about that,
1: yeah. Victim l- of a... <laughs> yeah,
0: if if you get in a car accident, then the devices can send an alert. They can call automatically. And I remember when OnStar, the Chrysler or Chevrolet product, I don't remember exactly which. Came out. We'll get a it, letter. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we will. And <laughs> it, we could be so lucky, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so that, exactly. that came out, and when the car would crash, then the car would automatically call. But this is yes. using your device, which um, I think is one that is just amazing and awesome. The uh, the other one, speed monitoring and remote activation of the microphones, um, uh, those are very questionable whether that should be done or not. For example, I refuse to install the insurance app that my insurance company has because I don't want them to monitor my speed. Even if I'm not speeding, like I just don't want my insurance company to, uh, to have that information about me. And, and I wouldn't want that for my kids either, to be honest, like I need to be a better parent and understand what they're doing and talk to them about it rather than, Surveilling. We're getting, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of things. I, I apologize. No,
1: no, no, <laughs> I think this is all good. This is this is a dynamic topic and it's, you know, easy to dive into the stuff with respect to, well, two of the specialized features. And again, as we always do, we urge people to go take a look at the show notes, which are lovingly crafted for, yes. for our listeners. And amazing. But uh, Well, be that as it may, the two things under the specialized features that I think really parents need to think long and hard about. Number one is the ability, which many of these apps have, to remotely activate the microphone of the child's device. So you can literally eavesdrop on the conversations taking place around your child. Now, yes, you can create use cases where that might be valuable, you need to hear what the kidnapper is saying yeah. about your child. But I think the chances of you becoming an electronic voyeur or a digital voyeur are much greater than you playing Liam Neeson and Taken or whatever you think mm-hmm. you're going to be doing with your life. And then the other aspect of this, which really applies um, sort of more broadly across the board here, is whether or not these apps or these, these devices should be surreptitiously installed in your child's device, You know, for instance, a stealth mode for an app, or do you put something like a GPS tracker because there are, there are little devices you can buy um, which use GPS instead of Bluetooth. Do you drop one of those in your kid's backpack or their gym bag without telling them that you've done so? And this is where we start to get into some of these more philosophical issues about how parents should think about this technology and whether they should deploy it
0: mm-hmm. and and I think when you do think about it in this way you start to recognize yeah. how complex this issue is and really so many of these issues that if you're you know that old adage if you're not doing anything wrong that you don't have anything to be worried about is, is patently false because some things you just should not be doing. And for example, um, stealthily or without their knowledge, tracking your child and uh, tracking what they're doing online and doing all of that without them being aware that you're doing it is not a healthy way to manage that. It's a lot better to say, I'm watching everything you do online and I'm watching where you're going. And when you run into something then let's talk about it. And that's a much healthier way to deal with whatever they could be facing, no matter what it is.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, and the remaining portion of this podcast, I guess I would say, Jethro, really goes to approaches to parenting. You know, mm-hmm. how parents want to interact with their children. There's some power issues that arise with all of this. Um, I think it is useful in terms of this conversation just to briefly touch on the legality, mm-hmm. which is to say, do parents have a right to install these kinds of apps or these devices, even without their children's knowledge? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. I mean, parents have every right to try to keep their children safe, to know where they are, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, with respect to devices, themselves. In the vast majority of cases, as we've talked about frequently, parents are paying for the device. They're paying for the data plan. So they absolutely have a legal right to determine what is on those devices and how they're being used. And we'll do a separate show on this at some point. Increasingly, plaintiffs are looking to parents for recovery for damages if the device is used negligently or maliciously or things like that so that's going to be a growing issue down the road but from a legal point of view there's no restriction on what parents do under the age of 18 after the age of 18 that's a different story
0: yeah and and just to add to that there there is also uh, ideal ethical situations right that ideally you'd be talking to your kid and you'd you'd be introducing these things in small doses and helping them learn and grow and all that. And I get, trust me, I get that. It just doesn't work that way all the time for everybody. I really do get that. And sometimes you're in a situation where you have no choice, but to do it stealthily. Otherwise you'll have no idea what's going on. And, and there are, do you want to get
1: more concrete about that in some way?
0: Well, uh, let me take my school experience where, (laughs) where, uh, there was a black market at my school for renting phones from other people, um, so that kids could use them. So it was like, you could rent somebody's phone for, for $5 for a day. Right. And so this kid had this whole thing going, which technically we didn't have a rule against that, but the, um, the, the the parents knew that this kid was repairing cell phones and knew that he was getting old cell phones on eBay and then fixing them up. And they thought he was then selling them to other people. And what he was really doing was renting them out so that people could bypass what their parents would not allow them to do. Like if your parent won't let you have a phone, you rent it while you're at school.
1: Right. Or the school has taken away a device. And now, and as long as these older devices can access Wi-Fi, the 90% of the internet, is available. That's right.
0: Yep, and even even with the protections and and blocks that we put on in school, you know, a, a free VPN app can bypass almost all of those. Although mm-hmm. I know the schools are now blocking VPN IP addresses as well, so it's it's making it a little bit uh, easier to to keep that controlled. But still, I mean, that's just going to be whack a mole all the time. It totally so. is
1: because they use IP address skipping technology. Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. So once they figure that out and once that becomes really easy for them to do, then, you know, it's a whole new problem. <laughs> so... exactly.
1: But but let me just point this out, because this is relevant to what we're talking about today. The trust issues with a school are different than the trust issues within a family. Yes. I mean, the students going into the school, unless you've explicitly told them you're not going to do X should reasonably expect that you'll do X, Y, and Z in yeah. order to keep kids safe.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the other aspect of this is that if, um, so for example, my oldest daughter has Down syndrome and we are always going to have something there to keep her safe because she can't communicate effectively with other people all the time. And so one of the things that we've done is we've gotten her a bracelet that has my number, my wife's number on it. So that she can have access to call us, even though she doesn't have a phone yet. Um, She can share our number with other people in case she ever needs help. Mm -hmm. And she's been able to do that on occasion when I've forgotten to pick her up from some activity, which happens also. (laughs) So, (laughs) So for her, though, having something that would track her location would be very beneficial good example. She wanted to go on a walk the other day and everybody else was busy so nobody could go with her. So I gave her my phone so that I could track it from my other device and know where she was. And guess what? She got lost and had no idea how to get home. And so that right. I was very grateful to be able to have this technology that she could be somewhat independent, but we could also know where she was and be able to track her and be able to find her. Now, if she went on a walk by herself, it would be it, we'd have no idea. We know she could only go so far, but but we don't know which yeah. street she could go down or which house she could sure. go into. And these are these are real issues that that we have to deal with. And as she's almost 18, we're going to have to figure out what that looks like as she gets older, too.
1: Boy, and that, that, is, that, that is a great way. We'll, we'll get to the end of the show with the kind of above 18 conversation, because yeah. that's really fascinating. I mean, some of the articles I read, I highlighted a couple, but you really do have parents who want to go into the kids' early 20s. But let's let's put that for a second. <laughs> yeah. I, I think what's interesting that you're talking about, number one, of course, you're having the communication, right? Uh, very much like we did with raising cyberethical kids. Uh, you know separate podcast that is available for folks to download uh, it's a, it's just a great conversation to have with children about how these devices are going to be used within the family what the implications are and so forth. What I find fascinating of course is that this conversation that we're having now about the under 18 is increasingly relevant to the late 70s and up right in terms of folks, who are developing dementia, Alzheimer's, and so forth? We have exactly the same issues to confront at that end. You know, in, in terms of uh, independence, loss of uh, you, loss of driving privileges, and so on and so forth. Um, this is an issue that mm-hmm. I've been dealing with recently, and it's it's challenging. It it really uh, but, is. You know, I think yeah. So there, obviously, there's money to be made here, but it's it's just a question of how we maintain the integrity of the family conversations.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so there are two products that I want to talk about. Neither one are sponsors yet, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but both of these both of these companies have a different approach to the same problem. One is Gab Wireless, which is a um, a phone for your kid which is basically a, um, a phone that doesn't have uh, – it has no Internet, no social media, no games, and it is effectively being able to call and text uh, family members and not get into any of the stuff that could be dangerous or anything like that. That has um, GPS tracking built in. It's one of their features, one of their selling points, and they can call you – you know, and talk as much as they want and text as much as they want. The other one, and to be honest, the one that I like um, a bit better is that they, uh, the pinwheel phone, which is a, uh, there are three different Android phones that come with that you can, you can choose one to buy. And then it's a service and it essentially allows specific apps to be on the phone and you can adjust this as kids get older and get more responsibility. And that's why I think that it's a, a bit better, is because it um, it allows it to grow with the kid, rather than only only calls and only texts and nothing else. So you can add in these some other apps, games, things like that that are that kids do want, but that they may not be ready for just yet. And so these two um, two devices, Gab Wireless and Pinwheel, I think are the there are others out there like Gizmo. They do something similar to Gab, um, but these two, I think, are the the two best front runners for what you're looking at. And like you mentioned before, it depends on how you're approaching this, right? If you if you just want no access to anything, then Gab Wireless is the way to go. If you want to teach as as you give them opportunities to do things, then Pinwheel is the way to go. And if you you can download the Pinwheel app for yourself. And see what kind of parental controls you can sign in and and see what that looks like and setting times when you can't do things, which I think is a really great way to like let people see what the potential is and how much easier it is than the regular parental controls built into certainly Apple devices, which I use, and Android devices that I've heard are even more challenging and confusing.
1: Well, and that's my understanding as well. And the issue really you run into with the Android is there are so many flavors of it. And because it's a little bit more of a Wild West marketplace, it's easier for app producers to create things that get around some of these controls. You know, the one thing you can say about Apple is, um, and it's ironic given their 1984 Big Brother <laughs> ad, but they really lock down their universe. I mean, they're, they're very careful about what goes in and out of their app mm-hmm. store and so on and so forth. So if you're going to use a one of the major brands then Apple may make sense just because they, they do exert, I think better control, but I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about both pinwheel and gap because they look like a very solid approach to this growing, uh, you know, responsibility issue.
0: Yeah. And they're, they're definitely something that um, you, you just need to have a plan as a parent, you know, you've got to be intentional about it and think forward. Like, what do we want this to look like? And, you know, maybe until a certain age or certain milestones are met, you have, I mean, we really should, we did this in raising cyberethical kids and I think it was really great, but I think yeah. um, we need to do more about, um, you know, defining milestones by which you can have greater mm. control and freedom over yourself and less from your parents. And there needs to be like a, a graduated scale that we go into more depth and, I believe it's in episode five of the raising cyberethical kids where we talk about that. But I think we need to yeah. we need to go deeper. I think.
1: Well, I just dropped it into our possible topics list, yeah. so we'll definitely work on that. That's a good one. Your point about parents being, uh, I think, um, conscious about how they're approaching this, very, um, I think, vision forward you know, with an awareness of what the potential issues are and how they're going to handle different situations is critically important. I think one of the problems that often arises for people is that there are hidden issues, which we collectively call cyber traps that parents may not be aware of. And in reading through these various articles and getting ready for the show, um, one of the things I was really interested by is the privacy issue. Now, again, we're getting back to this idea that Google and Facebook were big early supporters of Life360, and and I'm not really calling them out on the carpet without having done more research. But in general, from our awareness of the online world, we know that information is basically big oil, that information has value for advertising and for modeling and so on and so forth. So a couple of questions. If a parent is using a location app, and we list a bunch of them, are they aware of how that company handles the data that they collect? Because obviously, it's very personal information, where your child is located. So if you're entrusting that information specifically to a company, so that you can have access to it through their technology, you do have an obligation to figure out as best you can what they're doing with that information. Yeah. You know, for instance, with the speed thing that you were referencing earlier, Jethro, some of those companies that do that will share that information with insurance companies
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, because it's relevant to the model that the insurance company has. Similarly, even if the company is absolutely credible in terms of how it uses the information, there's always a potential for this information to be hacked and for it to wind up in the black market and being used in inappropriate ways. And again, drawing a line between the misuse of this information and actual harm to a child is really difficult to do because the level of incidence is honestly so low. But a broader kind of conceptual issue is whether or not that information is going to shape your child's online experience in terms of the advertising they see, the information they're provided with, so on and so forth. So um, I think there's a real trade-off here. I was thinking when you were talking a little bit earlier that obviously the insurance company is trying to entice you, right, with lower insurance rates if you give them access to how you drive right. on a regular basis. For parents, the trade-off is you get access to this location data. We provide you with that technology. but we get the information exactly where your child is and then how they use it is the critical question.
0: Yeah. And we know nobody reads the privacy policies policies or the EULAs, uh, the end user license agreements. And so nobody, very few people are actually paying attention to that. And one of the companies that I really liked was, I can't remember the name, but they went out of business because they would not sell information about your Car use to third parties, and therefore they could not have a sustainable business model. So them that's providing the service to it is right, and mm-hmm. that's where you're talking about how information is so valuable. Is one of those little things that you plug into your OBD port on your car, and it yeah. it collects all the data. Um, and it was really handy
1: for diagnostics. Thank producer. you.
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> <following
1: it home>. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it was really handy to have, but they couldn't maintain it because they, they, they yeah. said, you, we keep your information private and therefore there wasn't a big enough market of nerdy people who wanted to know how their car was doing, <laughs> who, um, who cared enough about privacy to, to do that. And so, you know, other, other, Devices came out and were cheaper and they clearly stated that they would sell your aggregated and anonymized data to other people. And you know, that that's definitely an issue. Now, the piece that I really think is, is fascinating is you put this question in here, one or both parents becoming digital voyeurs. And that Mm -hmm. is definitely a, a thing to be aware of. And, you know, the, the, this gets really complicated when there are dual custody situations and, It gets brutal. Yeah. Speak to that. And
1: then it spills. Well, I was like, (laughs) boy, how much time do I love?
0: Not that much.
1: (laughs) Because this this is one of these things that, you know, we've got other topics that we're going to be working on. And one of them is cyber traps for spouses, partners, and lovers, right? The adult relationships. There's an entire chapter to be written about the use of formally joint technology in the harassing and ghost uh, gaslighting of exes you know for instance if you once shared the password to your nest thermostat and you break up and you forget to change the password and now your ex-spouse or whatever is cranking the heat while you're away at work and you're Fuel bill goes through the roof, or things like that. Believe me, the possibilities are disturbingly endless. Yeah. So, with respect to what we're talking about with kids, you know, you do have that aspect of parents, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Jethro. Fifteen percent of UK parents just three years ago saying they constantly check their child's location. It becomes this obsession of where their child is and what they're doing, and That's not particularly healthy. And then if you give them this capability of turning on things like the microphone or even, God forbid, the selfie camera or what have you, think about the potential invasions of privacy. Mm -hmm. And this gets to this issue of, are, are parents then going to be having a chilling effect on their children's development in terms of their willingness or their comfort in entering into relationships or friendships with people. This is the concept that has bothered theorists and philosophers since Jeremy (laughs) Bentham created the Panopticon because the Panopticon was his idea for a circular prison where every single inmate could be observed but would never know if he or she were being observed. Mm -hmm. And this also is was built on by George Orwell in 1984, the idea that you self-regulate your behavior because you might be being watched. Yeah. And, you know, can you have a, can you develop into a mature independent adult if that is the world in which you're growing up?
0: Well, and to the other part of that is if you are so used to your parents surveilling you, then you're going to be more willing to have the government and other entities surveilling you as well. Which we've
1: which we've talked about several times. I absolutely believe that I you know, one of the issues with school surveillance was it three, four episodes ago, mm-hmm. is that you're training people to be watched.
0: Yeah. And and that's not really what we're going for here.
1: in this I would hope not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the practical world suggests differently. So yeah. we need to think about that. Look, I let's I think the great way to wrap up with all of this is to really think about that transition point from 18 to 18 plus a day or from you know 17 364 to 18 if you've got this compulsion on the part of parents there's going to be a real temptation for them to want to push this surveillance beyond adulthood you know the formal entry into adulthood and you know obviously you know children at that point can take whatever steps they need in order to break the tether if you will but maybe they just get used to it as well and of course if you're like living in your parents basement because hey the economy yeah you know, the whole thing gets very weird at some point
0: yeah absolutely so i think the the question is when do you stop and you know do you stop when they turn 18 or do you stop when they gra- go to college or graduate college or when they get married or, you know, <laughs> they move out. I mean, the, the, we don't have the, the exact answer to that. Um, but certainly at age 18, you should be like, you should be preparing the kids for this lack of surveillance uh, before they're 18 so that they're prepared for it. One of the challenges in, in very conservative groups is that, once kids are away from the the pressure or the um, forced compliance with their traditional values is that they rebel and go do all the things that their parents have been saying you can't do for the last 18 years. <laughs> and, I turned into a
1: Democrat, see oh,
0: <laughs> What are we gonna do? So you've got to
1: it's true it happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you've got to think about that if you are a parent and what is it that you're trying to, to get at do you want your kids to be making their own choices or do you want them to rebel and and each of those things takes some time to think about and process through um last thing that i'll say is this uh trailer all that's all i watched because um because i haven't seen the show black mirror um but the trailer for the archangel episode is just super creepy and it's about a i put a link to it in the show notes just go watch the trailer it's it's a minute and it's about a mom implanting her daughter with a subcutaneous GPS chip to make sure that she knows where she is. Cause she got lost one day and totally makes sense. I can see how that thought process works and you know, it's just, it's wild.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I think that's an absolutely fantastic reference. I think the thing that I'll close with on this Jethro is that, um, The reason, one of the reasons that communication is so important with respect to these issues is that parents really don't want to get into a technological arms race with Mm -hmm. their kids. You know, it it, it's going to be a relatively small number of parents who are going to quote unquote win that kind of battle. And if you are in a situation where your kid discovers that they are being secretly monitored. In some way, by one of these apps or devices, it is a very safe bet that they will work very, very hard to evade that monitoring. And then you really are going to be in a much worse position than if you had had an open conversation with them about what your concerns are and what the appropriate boundaries of the monitoring are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 100%. Excellent.
1: Well, folks, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and as we did today, the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology.
0: You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guests, questions, or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones, and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate you having you with us and look forward to having you join us for our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually.